0: Well, this, this evening, what we want to do is look into the ABCs of salvation. Let's suppose you were having a conversation with someone and, and they were needing to know how to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ and why they need to know the King. There are some scriptures that I think we all should know for witnessing to people. So I'm going to read one verse here in Romans 3 verse number 23 and then we'll have a word of prayer. Romans 3:23 for a few people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Does your verse say that? Yours doesn't say that? Okay, if you have a verse that says that, you get rid of that Bible as soon as you can. Okay, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to have another opportunity to look into your word and to fellowship. No better way to spend a Tuesday evening than with the saints of God. So, Lord, we just ask that you just enrich us by the power of your word, help our understanding. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We can't overemphasize how important salvation is heartfelt religion, genuine personal devotion to the King. But we do need to know that there is a reason that God had to send a Savior in the first place. And the reason for the Savior is because of this whole issue that we know of called sin. Sin began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve's transgression. And because of that, fear, death, murder, deception, and all of these other things became something that that people seemed to constantly be entangled in. Well, God had a plan, and his plan was always that sin would be dealt with by means of blood. And that's why, going back to Adam and Eve's expulsion, then you'll find that sacrifices were offered up because God wanted to maintain fellowship with man. And the only way to do that was for man to offer up animal sacrifices. And I think we've told you before, the reason God was pleased with animal blood is because animals, their blood is the the closest kind of blood God could ever get to that had some kind of purity or innocence involved with it. Animals, have no conscience like we have. They don't know anything about sin. They don't blush at iniquity or, or anything like that. They operate totally by instinct. So God had mankind offer sacrifices to him. He found those sacrifices to be pleasing. And in the beginning, you had to offer that sacrifice up for yourself. By the time we move from Admin Eve's generation to Noah's generation, who continued the sacrificial system after he came out of the ark, unto Abraham's system, who continued the same system, even teaching it to his kids, all the way down to Moses. And with Moses, we find that the sacrificial system was instituted so that we had specific laws and regulations, the kinds of animals that God would find acceptable. Couldn't be blind, couldn't be lame, or any kind of defect or deficiency at all. And Moses made it very plain with the priesthood that they had to offer these as symbols of the atonement or the covering of the blood, covering of sin. Now You'll remember when they came out of Egypt, everybody had to put blood over their doorposts. How'd you like to have been involved with something like that? God would have said, okay, everybody down there in Fair County, if I don't see blood on the doorposts of your home, everybody in those homes are going to pass away. I'm sure there has been a number of you with paintbrushes out there, and you'd have been smearing it all over the door, making sure that God saw the blood and would have passed over. When they had the tabernacle, then you can see God had the sacrifices not just for home, But that thing was big enough for a nation now. A priesthood did it over and over again. But let's not forget that when John the Baptist comes along, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of what? The world. So in the beginning, it was a lamb for a man. Then it became a lamb for a household. Then it keeps getting bigger and bigger. With the priesthood, they were offering sacrifices for the nation every single day. But with what happened with John the Baptist, he said, here is a lamb going to remove the sin for all of the world. So this is why we say that the, the, the blood of Jesus and the salvation of Christ is sufficient for all, but it's only efficient for those who believe. Anyone can become a Christian, but not everyone can is a Christian because Jesus died. There are some preachers that will act as though when Jesus died on the cross, he just universally saved everybody. But that's not the case at all. So since we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity, as we grow, then we discover that there is sin. And Paul, he explained to us how that discovery came. He said, I would not have known sin had not the law introduced it to me by telling me. I'm not supposed to covet. So as we grew older and we learned about what we're not supposed to do, temptation came. And then that's when the discovery of sin came. People became modest. People had to deal with shame. There comes a point in time when little girls, uh, they just don't want a little brother or a big brother hanging around them in the bathroom anymore. Just no more of those those little bathing situations where brother and sister are together sitting in the bathtub as toddlers. There there comes a point in time where modesty is born. And once that occurs, then people's eyes are becoming open to different things. So Paul here, in, in writing to these folks, he says it's important for everybody to know in verse 23, everybody has sinned. There's never been a human that's come into this world that is not guilty of having done something wrong. The the person that you think has has, has never had any issues at all in life, never been suspended from school, never gave mom and dad any trouble, never used any bad language, never stayed out late or anything like that, Uh, that person still had the issue of sin. So the scripture is plain. This is something that stains everyone. No one can escape it. Impossible. However, <clears throat> with the sin, it says we fall short of the glory of God. So then the question is, what is God's glory? Well, God's glory is God's standard. When he made Adam and Eve and put him in the garden, after he had made everything, then looked at them, even he, he said of them, you know, they're good. This is how he made it. And And when they did sin, then what they possessed in relation to God, they lost it. See, this is why in the beginning, when they were in innocence, nakedness didn't bother them. But when the presence of sin came, then suddenly shame made its appearance. And they're hiding in the bushes because they feel a little bit out of place because of how they were. And that's what sin does. So the scripture says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? except the one that has clean hands, a pure heart. The reason sinners typically don't want to go to a church service, a prayer meeting, or worship service, is because of the issue of sin. In their lives, when they come in contact with people that are Christian, they may say, I think those people are self-righteous. I think those people think they're better than me. But really, in fact, what the issue is, inwardly, they know they're sin. And they feel bad being around people who don't conduct themselves in the the same way that they do. And whenever you know that you have fallen short, then you typically aren't always enthused to be around people who may have measured up. Now, you know as well as I do, the only reason we measure up is because of the grace of God. It's not because of anything we've done. But it's, it's like, like the kids in school. If, if, you, have a, if you have a student <clears throat> who, uh, let's say it was like Isla in school many years ago, just, you know, always had, had one of those report cards that said A, 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 then, you know, those, those kind of people you didn't always feel, feel good about because there are, there are many more students in the school that were like me. And, 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 and we were happy to see an A, even if it was accidentally written on there. We, we were quite happy to see one. But the, but the one thing I do know is the ones who always got the good grades, sometimes you, you, you didn't always feel as courageous as you could have felt when you had the good grades if the teacher said come up to the the board here uh daryl and i want you to work out this algebraic problem and see then i just look for any possible excuse try to get thrown out of the class anything to keep from having to go up there because if you know you don't know the answer the last thing you want to do is go up and expose weakness. So this is why people who fall short of the glory of God and realize that they are in sin, they very often feel like they do not measure up. They know they don't measure up. The problem is they don't know how to get out of it. See, Sin is a trap. It's sticky. It's a snare. And once a person gets caught in it, it's just like a wolf or any other kind of animal that gets caught in a trap. They cannot get themselves out. They know they're slowly dying but they can't do anything about it. And that's the alcoholic. See? That's the person that's on, that's on drugs. That's the person who's, who's self-righteous, <coughs> excuse me, and having all kinds of problems, and they cannot figure out how to repair the damage of their life. Well, if we're thinking about the ABCs of salvation, the first thing we need to know then is that verse 23 says, everybody has sinned and comes short of the glory of God. Now let's go to chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. Notice verse verse 23, for the wages or the paycheck, the rewards of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's an interesting sentence in verse 23, because we, we, we live under the principle of reaping and sowing, so we know then that sin is connected with death. Because the first sin brought into this world, death. But even though we know that sin and death are connected, it's amazing the number of people who still enjoy participating in sin. Even though they know the the end result is death. And this isn't just amongst people who don't know God. I'm talking about people that are Christian. People who have a relationship with God. People who have been born again very often will purposefully engage in what they know to be error or sin. Now they know from the word and they know intuitively that if I continue to do this, this is going to affect me, I'll die. However, if you find pleasure in what you're doing, you'll find a reason to set aside the whole idea of death in order to continue doing what you're doing. And this is what what, what many people do. And, And Paul is is trying to show us here that is not the correct way to look at that. The wages of sin is death. It produces death. It causes death to work inside of a person. And then he says, but the gift of God, which tells us that sin is not the gift of God. We've got the word but, that's a conjunction. If we're using a conjunction, that means what we're about to say now is going to be a little bit different than what has already been previously stated. The gift of God is eternal life. So I want eternal life. I want to live forever. Humans are the only species on planet Earth that are able to give birth to something that's eternal. See, the animal animals can't do it. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but your, your, your parakeet or your hamster may not make it to heaven. Just, and it's just not going to bother me if it, if it doesn't. If, um, if you're a fan of flies and mosquitoes, that's your business. I'm just telling you, when, when I get to heaven, I'm not expecting to see any of them. If you like snakes, that's fine. Just do whatever you want believe whatever you want. I'm simply saying that when I get on the other side, I'm, I want to see people who possess souls. I know when Jesus returns and we all come back with him, we're all going to be on some horses. So I know somewhere up there, there's going to be some, some, some animal life. But, but plainly, though, I, I, I believe I'm going to live forever. So as sure as I'm standing here right now, I expect a billion years from now to still be talking with people about the goodness of God and how wonderful the king is. But Paul, then he qualifies this statement. He says eternal life is a gift, but then he, he, he qualifies it by saying it's through Jesus Christ. There is, there's no other name, there's no other way. So we, we can't do this any other way. If we're going to deal with the sin issue, then we have to be willing to deal with Christ. And the person who, who doesn't want to deal with this issue of Christ is the person who's going to end up on the wrong road and in trouble. And for all of those who say, that it's not a good agenda for Christians to have in being exclusive. I just simply say you need to read the Bible because this isn't stuff we made up on on our own. This is stuff that's been written in this book long before we ever were born. He says here, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I'm glad he didn't say through our church. Imagine if he would have said through our denominational church. Can you imagine how many of us would be on the outside? Yeah, <clears throat> because since all of us don't <clears throat> all <clears throat> belong to the same denominational church or may not have been raised in the same denominational church, imagine if you could only get to heaven if your name was written down in the book of life in the Methodist church. That I would mean, everybody outside the Methodist church couldn't go to heaven. Or imagine if, if, if you weren't part of... The ELCA Lutheran Church. I mean everybody outside ELCA would be left out. The Wisconsin Senate, Missouri Senate. They couldn't get in. Well what if what if you had to be American Baptist? Oh, that would that, that put the Southern Baptists and the Northern Baptists and the Missionary Baptists in trouble. And what, what if you what if you had to be Church of Christ, just strictly Church of Christ? you had disciples of Christ, you'd be in trouble. And then you have to try to figure out whether or not you were Church of Christ instrumental. See? So there are a lot of different ways we could go with this. What if you had to be Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee? Some kind of Pentecostal denomination. We have, I don't know how many denominations on planet Earth. Every one of them will tell you that they believe when they started their organization, they were absolutely correct. And how they began it. But somewhere along the line. Brilliant minds. Went different directions. And things kind of divided. But Paul says here. Eternal life is a gift of God. That comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for that we should be pleased. Very pleased. Yeah. Because usually. If, if we get too heavily involved with something and just like the government we mess it up we do we have a tendency to mess it up something as simple as salvation becomes very difficult when you put it in the hands of man because man wants to regulate it man wants to control it and man wants to make sure that you know that it's in his possession and if you know it's in his possession then you'll continue to come to him or her in order to receive your salvation so we're looking at the ABCs of salvation. What's the first thing that <coughs> a person should do then in the ABCs? Number one, admit they're a sinner. Admit they're a sinner. The person who doesn't know that, they're never going to see a need for a savior. See? If, if I already think I'm good enough and you believe you're good enough, then why do we need anybody to come along and save us from 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 sin. And until I recognize that sin is a problem, then I can't even understand that I need to be delivered from it. So we oftentimes say when when witnessing to people and talking to people about the Lord, you have to get a man or woman lost before you can get them saved. You have to help them to see why they are separated from God before you can bring them into their need for a relationship with God. Now you're just telling the story. God the Holy Ghost is doing the rest. He's bringing the conviction. He's the one touching hearts and shining the light on different things in all of our lives. And as He does that, that's His way of just kind of drawing us in. God has put in our hands the Word. We use the Word as the bait. And then when we get the fish on the line, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that's drawing them in. That's how it happens. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 10 now. So we say we have to admit that we're sinners. And then in Romans 10, notice uh, verse, number, verse number 9. <clears throat> it says here, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So the scripture says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. So what's in here precedes what's in here. So here's B. We believe upon the Lord. A person has to admit that they're a sinner. Then they have to believe. Now now these are things that can happen simultaneously. I have preached plenty of times where when I give the, the altar call and it's real dramatic sometimes and I'm saying okay folks we want people to give their hearts to the Lord, tonight, and I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want hands to go up all over this place. If you're wanting Jesus to rescue you from your problems, and of course, I go through that whole thing and walk them through. in between each number, I'm still talking to them. And then when I say three, I mean, hands just go up all over the place when when we're uh, doing that. However, I have enough sense to know that the average person who raises their hand at the end of the service... Already believed what I've been saying while I was preaching. See, as the Word of God was being taught, they believed. That's why they responded. They responded. So the belief in the heart is necessary because belief and behavior always correspond. Your actions follow. Your belief. If you hear someone say. I don't see anything wrong with that. What they're saying is. In my belief. I don't think that's wrong. So their behavior. will Act accordingly. It'll manifest itself. When someone else comes along. And they say well. I don't think. That is something a Christian should do. Then Typically. Christians will refrain from that type of behavior. So belief in the heart goes very far in affecting how we live our lives. Look at it again. Thou shalt believe in your heart. That's future tense. That means you can be in this world and not have faith in your heart. Paul even said that in another of his letters that all men have not faith. And then C, in the ABCs, confess. If you become a Christian, let people know. Let them know. Say it. Let it come out your mouth. People need to know that you love the Lord. Now, you don't have to be annoying about it. And you don't, you know, if you're, if, if, you're, if you're married to an unbeliever, you don't have to plaster scriptures all over the refrigerator and, and, and all over the uh, bathroom mirror. So, so when they go in there to brush their teeth, they're looking at words that say, repent, you sinner. You know, you <laughs> <coughs> that may not necessarily be, be the best thing. But, but our confession, though, should, should be that, that we are believers in the Lord and we love him. Now look at the next verse, verse 10. With the heart man believes. Under righteousness, with the mouth confession is made under salvation. For the Scripture says, "Whoever believes on Him shall not be ashamed." So now that I've come to believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I've come to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and I've come to see that He's the rescuer of my life from sin, then I can also believe that He's the one that has now made me righteous. See, that's just as important. It is very important that we help people to understand not only are you delivered from something, sin, but you're also delivered to something, righteousness. And people who don't learn to live according to the righteousness of the Lord in Scripture, they very often struggle with persistent condemnation, continual shame, and they never feel like they measure up and can do anything right. And it's because we haven't been taught that, as Christians, we become the righteousness of God, and by that I mean this: <clears throat> it is a—it's um, a, a humble statement. If I say I'm a sinner saved by grace, it's a true statement. It's a true statement. I'm a sinner saved, past tense, by grace. But let's never forget, though, when Paul wrote his epistles, he addressed them not to the sinners saved by grace, but to the saints, which were in Ephesus. And very often, we put such an emphasis on this fact that we're all just sinners, that we just often feel like all we can do is sin. When maybe we ought to think about the fact that when Paul addressed the Galatians and the Corinthians and other people, he made it very plain that we are the saints of God in so and so. So what does the word saint mean? Saint is just simply the noun that, that, that talks about those who are sanctified. Sanctified, set apart, made holy. And to become a saint, we don't have to raise our hand and vote about whether or not you're worthy to be a saint, because I mean, some of you'd never get my vote. And I probably wouldn't get yours. See, I probably wouldn't get yours. Because if we all hang around each other enough, then we just, you know, we see more flaws, we see more problems and issues. Tiffany and I were teasing, she was teasing me the other day because we had to sit through this, this marriage deal. And and so she she told me if if we ever had to go through marriage counseling, she said if the if the person... If the, the, uh, the, the counselor said, well, what exactly is, is your problem? And she said, I'm going to tell that, that counselor, well, our problem is we're both in love with the same person. I said, really? I said, so you're in love with me and I'm in love with me. That's what you're trying to say? <coughs> well, see, here's the thing. If, if we had to raise our hands in order... To make somebody a saint, you know as well as i do there 's no way on this planet any of us would want to vote for vote for the other. you know however, sainthood doesn 't come on the basis of a few people casting their votes; it comes because of the blood of jesus christ and Once I realize now that i 'm no longer a sinner in the sense that that is my lifestyle and living in sin is my habitat, I can now adjust my lifestyle to fit what I believe. And this is why Paul says to the Ephesians, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you don't change how you're thinking, you cannot change how you're living. And as long as you see yourself as defeated, as long as you see yourself as overwhelmed by every circumstance of life, you're going to be overwhelmed by every circumstance of life. But as the scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You don't think you're worth anything. You're going to have low self-esteem and people are going to walk all over you and treat you like you're nothing. But if if you could really get the revelation, the greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And that God has caused you to triumph over all things. And that if God is for you, who can be against you? You won't be intimidated by anybody because you'll realize anywhere I go on this ball of wax, it belongs to God. And if God leads me there, God can take care of me there, just like he takes care of me here. See? He can bless me on that side, just like he blesses me on this side. And if I have that mentality, then this is how God's going to lead me. So these are the kinds of people. That I, I want a fellowship with him. I had to go somewhere. I want to join myself with people who are going to lift me up and teach me about what Paul believed the Christian life should look like. I don't want to be sitting in a room somewhere with the curtains drawn, weeping and crying all day long. No. You've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So admit, believe. Then here comes the confession. So the confession then is Christ is my savior. I belong to him. Verse 11 again. Whosoever believes on him shall not be what? Shame. Now that's that's not an issue we wrestle with a lot here. However. There are a lot of people around the world. That when they become a Christian. It becomes a matter of dignity and shame. Because you become a Christian in some places and you'll be persecuted, lose your job, may lose your kids. Tiffany, the other other day, we're looking at that movie, Not Without My Daughter. Anytime I have someone who is American or Western and dating someone who is Muslim, and they're considering getting married, possibly moving overseas, I tell them, you watch that movie, Not Without My Daughter, because it's based on a true story, based on a true story and 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 whenever i think about that i think of the many christians around the world who are persecuted because of what they believe and they cannot stand up straight roll their shoulders back and pronounce that they're christian just like we can here in america because if they do it over there there's probably somebody going to stick a knife in them verse 11 says if you believe upon the lord you won't be ashamed <clears throat> so we want people to have faith in god and not be embarrassed by the fact that we're Christian. Now, about six or seven years ago, I would say because of the direction of the political and cultural climate in this nation, a lot of Christians were kind of back on their heels, very defensive about what they believe. Afraid to say Merry Christmas? See? afraid to pronounce their faith in a in a in a public forum uh, not wanting to rent places and 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 hold outdoor meetings and things like that simply because of the kind of blowback they could get from a lot of different different people and that's exactly what the devil wants the devil wants us to be embarrassed about what we believe he wants to push us in a corner and to close our mouths particularly We folks who have big mouths when it comes to the gospel, people that are silent, don't say anything. He's not worried about them at all. But the ones that go out of their way to speak against iniquity and to lift up God and righteousness, he wants to fight against them. And, And this is what we have to know. Being a Christian does not mean that you have to be ashamed of what you believe. On your job, if you want to go and on your break time pull a Bible out and read a verse or two and meditate on it, nobody can tell you you can't do that. And, and if, 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 if a kid is in school, they can do the same thing I did in junior high. After I finished all of my homework, since I didn't hardly do any anyhow, but once I finished all of my classwork, I had a Bible I put that Bible on top of all those books in that classroom and then I opened up that book and I started reading. And I didn't have a teacher or anybody tried to say anything to me about that. They, they didn't like me passing out tracks in the hallway. But, but, but I, I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing that even though I was doing that. I figured until somebody told me I couldn't do it, I wasn't breaking any laws. So as a Christian, do not be ashamed of what God has done for you do not be ashamed of what he has called you to be and to do people won't ever know that you love the lord unless you you let them know so as a as a believer uh, think about the the t-shirts you can always wear that have the messages on them see see the, the caps that we can we can wear I know there are places in in, uh, California and New York, if you wear a T-shirt that has Jesus' name or something on it, (sighs) sometimes they'll ask you to either go to your locker and change your shirt. Sometimes they'll ask you to leave the premises. But at some point, you know, believers are going to have to push back. Yeah, yeah, they... <clears throat> they, they like to bring lawsuits against believers and stuff, but at some point, Christians are going to have, to have to stand their ground. The devil will take everything that we give him. You understand that? If he can push you back six inches, he'll try to push you back nine. But at some point, we've got to be strong enough to say we're not, we're not going to let that happen. Just, just a couple of more things I want to bring out here. So in, in, in verse number 12, then, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all rich Unto all that call him whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've already told you we're saved from our sin. That's part of this whole redemptive thing. Now Let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Old Testament book. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to hear the sound of Bible pages turning. I go so many places, them Bible pages don't turn at all. Isaiah 53. Be careful with them pages. I know they're stuck together. Just just gently pull them apart. Isaiah 53. Notice, this entire chapter is about our Savior. Verse 1. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Verse 2. He'll grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So the the physical appearance of Jesus may not have been something that anybody would have been envious of. And the root out of a dry ground, God took a man from the lineage that he had. You read in Matthew chapter 1. And you can see that God did something great by raising up Jesus out of the heritage that he came out of. He had some good people in that heritage. But he had some bad folks in that heritage, too. His family is just like yours and mine. There's some white sheep. There's some black sheep. There's some sheep. There's some goats. some good people. There's some bad people. So he had David in his lineage. Abraham in his lineage. But Rahab was there also. So there were there was some trouble. So verse three, we know that Jesus was despised and rejected of men because his own people, his own brethren rejected him. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Of course he was. And scripture says that in much wisdom is grief. So with everything that he knew, he grieved over what he saw. That's why he wept over Jerusalem. He saw the iniquity of man. He knew what they could have. He walked into the temple. And it broke his heart when he saw the way the Sadducees acted and the way the Pharisees conducted themselves. And so we hid as a, were our faces from him. Why? Because we were shamed. There were some people were ashamed of Jesus. They, they, they hid their faces. He was despised. Yep. We esteemed him not. So we did not even value him in the manner that he should have been valued as the son of God. So verse 4, <clears throat> surely he's borne our griefs. And of course, in Hebrew, the, the same word we ha- have here that's translated griefs is the same word for infirmities. Exact same word, infirmities. And carried our sorrows. And the word is sicknesses in the Hebrew. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, then the next question you have is, then why didn't they just say infirmities and sicknesses? Well, several reasons. Number one, because the Hebrew word is generic enough to include all of those. You know as well as I do, a grief is something that takes away your joy. I don't think I've ever met anybody who was infirmed and happy about it. Have you? I don't think I have. And and when someone has a, a sickness, I don't think I've ever met anybody who was joyful about it. So it's a form of sorrows. And even Jesus in Matthew 24 predicted in the last days there would be sorrows, an increase of sorrows and sadness. Now, the reason I'm taking the time to emphasize these here is because in verse five, it says he was wounded for our sins, transgression. He was bruised for our sins, our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We're healed because of how he would be beaten. Now Isaiah prophesied this 800 years before Jesus was ever born. But let's go now to first Peter chapter two. We're still talking about our salvation. And I just want you to see some of the various things included in that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you will notice in verse 21, that's back there by the book of Revelation. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were all of you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now, I think... Jesus is a worthy example to follow, don't you? Yeah, so it's a good model for us to examine for the rest of our days. So then it tells us what what the example is in verse twenty two. He did no sin. Well, I mean that's that's where we want to be. That's the goal, to 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 not do that. Neither was guile found in his mouth. What's that? Deceit, deception. He was not the kind of person that. Would say one thing to your face, then something else behind your back, or he wasn't the kind of person that would lie at all. There's no guile about him. When someone beguiles, that person is deceiving. See? So when guile is involved with a person's conversation and their life, then you're talking about somebody who is not what they present themselves to be. We're talking about a pretender act one way in front of people, they're totally different behind closed doors. So verse 23, who, talking about our Savior, when he was reviled, reviled not again. So when people teased him and mocked him, he didn't respond that way toward them. Now folks, this is why he's the example for us because you know as well as I do, we're very emotional (laughs) creatures and when people do stuff to make us angry, the first thing our flesh does, it wants to rise up, and we want to go in attack mode, but Jesus wasn't that way. People said some very, very nasty things to him, and I'm sure he heard the kind of words and language that just should not be repeated by anybody, and he did not, did not return language to the offender in the same measure. He didn't. And so it says when he suffered, he threatened not. See, when, when people cheated him or wronged him, he didn't turn around and say, you know what, I'll kill every one of you if you give me an opportunity. He didn't say that. No. No, he even let, let, let it be known one time that he's got legions of angels that he could call, but he didn't threaten them and say, I'm going to call them. And, 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 and that is what all of us probably have done once or twice in our life. We, we, we make threats. I know I made a whole lot of them to my older friends who about my, my, my brother's age, when they tease me and bother me, I'd make it very plain. My brother will come and kick you from one side of the street to the other. See, I'd threaten them. I'd go home and tell Anthony right now, and you won't be smiling in 20 minutes. And, and I'd say all that kind of stuff. But you know, that wasn't godly. <coughs> And that's not something that we ought to do as a, as a Christian. So we don't have to, to, to threaten people when they are causing us to suffer or imposing some kind of suffering on us. But here's what we do. We commit ourselves to him that judges righteously. Yeah. Now how hard is that? <clears throat> when you know you're being unfairly treated and you know that something is coming towards you that you don't particularly like to just really say, God, I commit myself to you. And Lord, I'll let you handle the offender and my enemy. It's not easy. You know? But this is what this is what Jesus did. This is the model he left for us. We're still talking about salvation. See, Get saved. And this is what we're saved to. This is the life we're saved to. Very often we spend a lot of time on what we're saved from, but this is what we're saved to. We're saved in order that people can afflict us and we don't even respond. That's why the devil does what he does, because he knows he picks on Christians here in America and around the world, and he knows the Christians aren't going to go up and blow up up somebody's house. Yeah. People on the news, whenever they're choosing Somebody to make a bad movie about they want to do it about Christ or about some Christians and change the story they don 't do it they don 't do it with uh Muhammad and them oh no, they, they don 't do that at all, but when it comes to us, they do that they don 't bother Hinduism, folks overseas I mean they, they can be brutal sometimes, but Christians have the whole turn your other cheek, see that whole ethic that Christians live by and and the devil exploits that so verse twenty four of Jesus who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, he didn't bear his, he bore ours, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. And then Peter reaches back and pulls this verse out of Isaiah 53. By whose stripes ye were what? Healed. So then my my expectation then is that now that I'm a Christian and I have lived a sinful life, it doesn't matter how many times my heart has been broken in the past. Now that I'm a Christian, I can expect that Jesus is a healer of broken hearts. And that's what I should expect. See? And, and even, if, even if I lived the kind of life that somehow affected my brain, and my thinking, now that I'm a Christian and I'm walking with God, I, I can believe and should believe that God can put all of that in reverse and he can heal me and help me. See? These, these are things people need to know. Because salvation is a, is a complete package, folks. God made us, spirit, soul, and body. He is concerned about spirit, soul, and body. If I have to make a choice, Jesus said it's better to go to heaven maimed, see, than to go to hell whole. So if I had to lose something, I still want to make it to heaven. But now that I know that I'm here in the kingdom and I have an opportunity to believe, I want to be able to trust that the same process of salvation that can deliver me of sins as I commit myself to him, this body still belongs to him because it's his temple. And the same way people in church are responsible for looking after a building in which they worship. Don't you think God cares about the building in which he lives, which is your body. And he tries to give us, tries to give us wisdom. And it's important for us to, to know that this Body belongs to the Lord and Jesus, he, he, he was, oh goodness, he was wise enough to tell one in, in one story when they brought a, a man to him that was stretched out on some kind of a, a bed. And and Jesus, he, he asked this question. He said, what's what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Now, of course to me it seems like the easier thing would just be to say you're forgiven of your sins. As far as the Lord was concerned, for him, there's no difficulty in either of them. See? So whether he's healing somebody saying, Be well, or whether he's telling somebody you're now forgiven, the Lord has no problem at all with the body or with the soul. So according to Isaiah 53, 1 Peter chapter 2, And everything we read in Romans chapter 10, when I'm saved from sin, I come into the kingdom of God. I'm now saved unto righteousness. At this point, I need to learn how to change my thinking in order to transform my living. I don't want to spend all my life just acting like a sinner. I want to live as an overcomer who is a saint. Rather than always hearing about what I've done in the past that was terrible. Someone please teach me now how I can overcome these things and live as a victorious warrior. Yeah, that's the key. And if we do that, I think salvation becomes a lot more uh, fun for, for some people. But, but if, if, if all we're going to do is every Sunday morning, we're going to read Jonathan. Edwards sermon centers in the hands of an angry God and we're going to tell you what a dirty little worm you are and, and how you, you, you deserve to be, sh- you know, shaken over hell on a dirty, rotten stick. And, and if, if that's all you're going to hear, then I mean, you, you you're probably going to have an awesome fear of God and a, and a great revelation of God's holiness. But you're probably not going to like being a Christian very much. You know, if that's all you hear. Every now and then, I do come in and sprinkle a little hellfire and brimstone some of you folks. Some of you need it a little bit more than others. But the bottom line is, it's in the Bible and it needs to be preached. See? And what's in that word needs to be preached. And as, as, as a Christian, all of it will help us in our Christian growth. But by and large, Christians need to be taught how to be like Christ. Yeah, to be like Christ live like him and to overcome amen amen let's have a word of prayer father we are grateful that your word is so clear and when we look into the scriptures and think about these abcs of salvation we're happy that you care enough about us to give us details so father we pray that you'd help each one of us to be a witness for you in our community When we come into contact with people that do not know you, we're going to be able to witness. And at the same time, Father, help us to pray for the sick. And help the sick know that part of the package is that you are able to make us whole. And that's your desire. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God.